0: I have been very fair to Joe Biden during this Afghanistan debacle. I have made a point not to attack him for things that I would not have attacked Trump over. I have made a point not to blame Joe Biden in particular for the broader mishandling of this war that went on for 20 years. I have made a point to acknowledge That any American withdrawal was going to be messy, okay? I have not taken cheap political shots, even when basically everyone else on the right has. So I think that I have some credibility to point out now, Joe Biden has screwed this thing up beyond anyone's wildest imagination. Barack Obama was very, very correct when he said never to underestimate Joe's ability to F things up. There are thousands of Americans currently stranded in Afghanistan. The administration is now refusing to guarantee that it will get them out before America fully leaves the country. Our mission is not complete by August 31st. And there are Americans and Afghan allies who remain there. Will U.S. troops stay until everyone is out, or will they leave? So yeah. I'm not going to comment on hypotheticals. What I'm going to do is stay focused on the task at hand, which is getting as many people out as rapidly as possible, and we will take that day by day. So you can't commit to yes. bringing back every American. Do you- can you offer any guarantee to the Americans and Afghan allies that if they remain there past the end of the month, U.S. troops will help them evacuate past the end of the month. Our our focus right now is on doing the work at hand and on the task at hand. And that is day by day, getting as many American citizens, as many SIV applicants, as many members of a vulnerable population who are eligible to be evacuated to the airport and out on planes. In other words, no, we won't guarantee it. Don't worry, though. While the Biden administration is stranding Americans in Afghanistan our leaders are preparing to open the door to tens of thousands of Afghan refugees because this is not a serious administration and this is not a serious regime and this is no longer a serious civilization. In the time we have left before China finally invades and puts an end to this circus, we will try to make sense of it all. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Carol M., who says, Death to America? Hey, that's Biden's slogan. What a coincidence. <laughs> that's, that's what you're going to see. Biden-Harris, 2024. Death to America! You know, when, when things are feeling crazy, when the economy especially is on the ropes, when inflation is a major, major concern, one way to hedge your investments would be with acre gold. I've been trying to book a hotel because I'm, I'm going to go visit some relatives soon. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but hotel prices are way up. Gas prices are way up. Food is way up. Everything's way up. Why is it way up? Because of inflation. Great hedge on inflation is physical gold. But Michael, you say, physical gold's expensive. I don't have that kind of money lying around. Yes, you do. Hear me out. If you have $30, you can invest in physical gold. Michael, hold on, hold on. Acre has developed this ingenious way to invest in physical gold for as little as $30 a month. The way they do it. You send in your $30 a month. When your gold stash reaches the price of their gold bars, Acre will discreetly ship Acre Gold to your door. They've got a new $100 a month subscription. If you want to up the ante a little bit, invest in a five gram gold bar. It's terrific stuff. I really love investing in physical precious metals. Go to getacregold.com slash Start investing in physical gold today. Make sure you go to this URL. because Acre's giving away a gold bar. To qualify for the giveaway, tweet or post why you should be a recipient and mention at get underscore Acre. That is getacregold.com slash Knowles. Thank you, Acregold, for supporting the show. I tried to be as fair as I possibly could. I truly believe, not to toot my own horn, okay? I think I was fairer to Biden on this thing than just about anyone else. But he is absolutely blowing it. It's outrageous. Even even on the left-wing news channels, when the left-wing newscasters are trying to flack for him, even that isn't working. And the guests on those channels are calling it like it is. I'm curious to hear your reaction of this consequential speech by the American president. Didn't run from it. He owned it. He owned his decision. He owned the fact that, as he put it, the buck stops with him. I hope he gets to own their deaths, too. I, I don't I feel like I watched a different speech than the rest of you guys. I was appalled. There was such a profound, boldface lie in that speech. The idea that we plan for every contingency I have been personally trying to tell this administration since it took office. I've been trying to tell our government for years that this was coming. We sent them plan after plan on how to evacuate these people. Nobody listened to us. They didn't plan for the evacuation of our Afghan wartime allies. They're trying to conduct it now at the 11th hour. The thing that they were most concerned about was the optics of a chaotic evacuation. Well, they got exactly what they were most concerned of by failing to do what was right when we could have done it. So this uh, army veteran uh, guy who's working on, on these sorts of issues, just right to Brian Williams' face, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I'm appalled. And frankly, there have been people in the mainstream media, even on NBC and other left-wing outlets who have said, this is really bad stuff. It was weak sauce in the speech because he avoided the main question. And now you're seeing, you're seeing this, this madness of straining thousands of Americans there. Meanwhile, it's, it's not just the left that's pushing to, b- before we get the Americans out, just try to resettle all the Afghan refugees. It's, it, it's the Republicans, too. George W. Bush. George W. Bush, obviously who began the war in Afghanistan, is now, now demanding that the Biden administration take in as many refugees as possible. He says, quote, the Afghans now at greatest risk are the ones who have been on the front, forefront of progress inside their nation. President Biden has promised to evacuate these Afghans along with the American citizens and our allies. The United States government has the legal authority to cut the red tape for refugees during urgent humanitarian crises. We have the responsibility and the resources to secure safe passage for them now without bureaucratic delay. So this is the sort of thing that you always hear from the left in America, but also from the liberal establishment right, which is you've got to take in all of the world's refugees. I'm I'm not denying, by the way, that people in Afghanistan are going to suffer under the Taliban. Make no mistake about, I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to be rosy for them. I'm just asking what is the limiting principle? Because women suffer in many, many countries on earth. The people broadly suffer in many, many countries on earth. There are a lot of, a lot of bad countries, (laughs) spithole countries like President Trump might say. Are, are we morally obligated to take in all of those people? even if you're just limiting it to countries that we've had military interventions in, we've intervened militarily in basically every country on earth. So are, now, are we obligated to take in all of the world's people who don't like their societies? Can we even do that? Obviously, we cannot do that. George W. Bush was modest compared to some politicians in the United Kingdom. Rory Stewart, who's a British politician, he's actually now at Yale's Jackson Institute, He went further. He said that that the West broadly has got to take in millions of refugees. He said, I predict that there will be millions of Afghan refugees, but it will be over many years and the US, UK and all the NATO allies should share the burden between them. Do you ever notice that, that we're the ones always expected to share the burden? Why is that? Why is it that there there are many, there are some countries in the Middle East that do take in refugees and there are many other countries that do not take in refugees. They take in barely any refugees. So the countries nearest to these hot zones, these zones with civil war, very often they don't take in refugees. But then we fly these people to the other side of the world to come to the good old US of A or to the United Kingdom or to Europe. You you heard Macron yesterday in France saying we have got to resist the, the influx of migrants. We just can't take it. Our societies are already on the brink of collapse (laughs) here in the United States. Just to remind you of something, we have violence in the streets. We have people burning down federal buildings. Even the left says we have insurrections left and right. I think think the insurrections are more on their side than on our side, but, but regardless, we have insurrections in the country, and we haven't been able to conduct a presidential election where the overwhelming majority of Americans believe it was conducted freely and fairly in a very long time. Obviously, the 2020 presidential election remains contested, including by the candidate who is not not the president right now. But let's not forget the 2016 election remains contested, including by the candidate who lost. Everyone's saying that Donald Trump is threatening democracy because he won't accept the results of the election. Hillary Clinton still does not accept the results of the 2016 election. And actually, the, the, the disbelief in the legitimacy of that election has been much more widespread than disbelief in the legitimacy of the 2020 election. How about we get our own house in order before we flood this country and others with millions of immigrants who come from a totally foreign land and a totally foreign culture and do not, do not have a, a, blazing American civic spirit and the spirit of democracy. I mean, isn't that the problem in Afghanistan is some people naively thought that we could democratize the country in 10 years. And it turns out that actually the process of democratization takes at least, oh, I don't know, seven, 800 years. So now we're just supposed to open the floodgates. Why do we do this? Why do we seem to be the only civilization that ever takes the side of victims? We seem to intrinsically take the side of victims. There's actually there's actually a, a very important answer here. I think it gets to the heart of our culture. I think it's what unifies our experience on migration, on our own national history, on tearing down the monuments, and frankly, on, on our popular culture as well. The West uniquely takes the side of the victim. Yesterday, I, I mentioned this, there was this clip of Lizzo, who's a sort of famously hefty singer and she was dancing around somewhat scantily clad, along with Cardi B, who was also scantily clad. And then she posted a video, and she was very upset, and she said, people are making fun of me because of my weight. And in the video, she's claiming this is fat phobia. And, and so on the one hand, we think, well, we shouldn't be exalting unhealthy lifestyles as though they're wonderful and terrific, and everyone should, should model themselves after that. But also, we feel really bad. We don't want people to be mean to one another. So what what is the answer to this? What... Why, why is the, the West uniquely so focused on victimhood? I was exploring this question last night as I was reading a book and smoking a good cigar. If you want to get good cigars, I recommend you check out Thompson. People ask me all the time because they know that I've smoked cigars since I was 15. They say, Michael, what's a good cigar that I should try? And then I send them some different uh, names, but you know it's complicated to do that all the time. Thankfully, Thompson has made this very easy by creating the Knowles Sampler Pack. Thompson Cigar Company that's been in the business for 100 years. I've been a customer of theirs for over 15 years at this point. I I still have the first box from Thompson that my mother ever got me. It's a very prized possession. Uh, They've made an incredible Knowles Sampler Pack. This thing is worth many multiples, what they're charging you for it. I don't. I suspect they're not making any money on it, uh, so take advantage <laughs> of this offer while you can. Like, amazing cigars. Uh, Davidoff is in there, Man of War, Armada, uh, lots of great. E.P. E- e- Carrillo. Just check it out. You'll love it, trust me. Sit back, take a break from all the craziness with a cigar from Thompson Cigar. They Rarely do offers right now, they're offering 15% off orders over 75 bucks or 20% off orders over 99 bucks. That's in addition to the savings that you just get on my sampler. To take advantage of the savings, go to thompsoncigar.com slash Knowles. Use promo code Knowles when you're ready to check out. T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N cigar.com Knowles. Use promo code Knowles. Unlike other countries on earth or other civilizations on earth, the West uniquely takes the side of the victim. We've done this from our earliest days just about. Socrates famously says in Plato's Gorgias he's arguing with these rhetoricians and Socrates the philosopher says it is better to be harmed than to commit harm it is better now most people for most of everywhere else in the world for most of history have believed it's much better to be able to harm other people than it is to be harmed yourself it's much much better to be the victor than to be the victim But Socrates says, no, it is, it is because if you harm somebody unjustly, you are degrading yourself. You're committing an immorality. It's much, much worse. And you see this also with the, the, the animating story, the animating fact of our civilization, which is Christ. All throughout history, groups come together and they find a scapegoat and they attack the scapegoat and they commit human sacrifice and they exile people. This is the, this is the, the fact of human nature. All civilizations begin with a, a death, right? You know, Romulus kills Remus. We, uh, pe- it begins with uh, Cain kills Abel. This is, this is a fact of human nature. And the, uh, the French writer uh, Re- who died not that long ago, Rene Girard points out that th- this is the way societies work. And Christianity inverts that. Only in the Bible and, and to its fullest extent in the New Testament, do you see instead of, instead of, everyone taking the side of the mob against the the one victim. You see God taking the side of the victim. In the case of Christianity, that's what you have. You have Christ himself, who is the ultimate scapegoat, the ultimate victim, who is killed by the mob in this perfectly natural way that humans interact with one another. And then he conquers that death. And so we, I think, actually, Rene Girard goes on. He thinks this is where our, our victim culture comes from. He thinks this is where political correctness comes from the idea that victimhood carries currency because of, of Christianity. Now, the, the way that we use victim culture today and political correctness is, is a perversion of that, right? It's, it's, uh, you know, even uh, Satan knows how to quote the scripture to his own devilish ends. But this is where it comes from. This is why you only see this kind of thing in the West. And so we're aware of that. That's good. I think that's, that's obviously one of the wonderful features of our civilization, But we can take that to such an extreme of self-destruction. Yes, we want to take in the orphan. Yes, we want to take in the refugee. Yes, we want. And we do that to, to a greater degree than anyone else on earth ever in the history of the world. But you can't just fling the doors open to everybody. Because then you don't have a civilization anymore. Then you don't have a country. And then you don't have the ability to spread your charity. Which is, I think, what a lot of these sort of messianic liberals in America seem to misunderstand. Now, speaking of Lizzo, speaking of women who have struggled publicly with their weight, speaking of misunderstanding the real victims here, Kirstie Alley just made a great point. Kirstie Alley, who is a, a terrific actress, she just tweeted out on this, this phenomenon of breastfeeding and chest feeding and the whole transgender craziness. She said, quote, Breastfeeding is what women do. Women also bottle feed. Men bottle feed too. We do not have to buckle to the insanity of the minuscule minority of lunatics who make us feel guilty for not sharing their insanity. Chest feeding, human milk feeding, WTF, stop it. Yes, this, as our public health geniuses and our ruling class decides to erase women from society. They're now redefining breastfeeding as chest feeding, They're not going to call it breast milk. They're going to call it human milk because it's not only women who can breed. It can be men because some women think that they're men and some men think that they're women. And, And the reason that we're going along with this insanity, this lunacy, as Kirstie Alley rightly calls it, is because we have taken the good Christian Western impulse to take the side of the victim, to stick up for the victim and not to just scapegoat people. We have taken that to an insane conclusion to deny reality itself. That's not a good idea. Nobody is going to benefit as we've been saying since this ideology cropped up. No one is going to benefit from denying reality and from indulging people's crazy delusions. And actually, and this is something we forget, there are going to be victims of this too. So when we take the side of the marginalized, of the man who thinks that he's a woman or or people who have various other sexual confusions, we are erasing women. We're erasing women from sports, right? We're erasing women from, we're, we're taking away women's privacy in their bathrooms and in their changing rooms. We're erasing women from our very consciousness, from society. That's a bad thing. When we take the side of the victim of the economic migrants or the refugees or the people who want to come from bad countries to our good country, that's a wonderful thing. But if you, if you do it to a limitless degree, there are going to be victims here in the United States. There are going to be victims economically. There are going to be victims of crime. Afghan migrants in particular commit crime at very high rates. That's just a statistical fact. There are going to be victims of cultural madness, of political discord, even religious and racial discord. That happens sometimes. So you've, you've got what we have to, I think, channel our wonderful impulse to take the side of the victim. We've got to we can't be so narrow minded about this and only focus on one aspect of society. When you think politically, you're supposed to think about the public, you're supposed to think about everybody. Speaking of things that uh, women do very well that men are not very well suited for. Oh, this is going to be politically incorrect, but I just I just have to say it. I know very even many so-called conservatives don't want to talk about this because they want to go along with the liberal establishment and they don't want to be called haters and meanies and various phobes and everything. But I have to talk about it. Pete Buttigieg is having a baby. Pete Buttigieg and his partner Chasten are having a baby. Now you might say Michael, you know I took seventh grade biology class and I, that doesn't. I don't think that's how it works. Uh, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Well, they are they're having a they haven't explained how they're having a baby. Uh, they just say, quote, for some time, Chasen and I have wanted to grow our family. We're overjoyed to share that we've become parents. The process isn't done yet. And we're thankful for the love, support, and respect for our privacy that has been offered to us. We can't wait to share more soon. Respect for our privacy is the key here. They're not going to say, oh, is this baby being adopted? Is this baby being concocted? In a, in a laboratory, you know, is it is this baby being concocted in this very clinical way, where where Pete and Chase and go and find a woman and then basically just buy her eggs and then go to another woman and rent out her womb and then they just create this baby for their own edification, who will be de- deprived the, his his own natural mother, or or is the baby being adopted? Well, if the baby is being adopted, don't forget there are thirty two couples in the United States for every one baby that is being put up for adoption, so the baby is being denied a household where there's a mother and a father if the baby is being adopted to Pete and Chasen. Now, if, if, if it weren't a baby, if this were someone who were, were older and in the foster care system, I think the calculus might change here because there are not 32 couples willing to adopt everyone in the foster care system. There are very few actually, and uh, single mothers, for instance, will take in foster children often. And so I, think, I do think the calculus there changes a little bit, and I'm not going to touch that topic. But in terms of Pete and Chasen making a baby or adopting a baby or somehow, we understand why everyone is celebrating this. We understand Because Pete and Chasen are marginalized. They're marginalized because of their sexual desires, because they have these unusual sexual desires. And in a previous age, this would have opened them up to much criticism and ostracism. And today that isn't so much the case, but still they have a natural desire to have a baby, but they don't have the biological capacity to have a baby. And so now this is a way around them. And because they want that, we want them to fulfill their desires. And you're a meany, awful, terrible, homophobic, terrible bigot if you suggest that that's not a wonderful thing. What about the baby? What about the baby? Does a baby have the right to his mother? if the baby's being made in a laboratory, for instance, does a baby have the right to his natural mother? I look at my little baby. I see the way my little baby interacts with my wife, his mother. It's different. It's just different than the way the baby, I'm not saying I'm a bad father, but it's just different, okay? Because men and women are different, because mothers and fathers are different and babies react differently to them because there's no such thing as chest feeding and human milk, it's breast milk, it's breastfeeding. because there's a difference here. Even if it's an adoptive baby, does the baby have a right to a mother and a father who are different. But Michael, you see some men are, men are just basically, like in, in some couples, some men are just basically like the women and some men are just like the men. Yeah, sure, there are gender stereotypes and roles and things and people. Some of it is socially constructed, but there's just a difference. And so when we consider the victim, I'm not casting any aspersions on Pete and Chasen and all the other sort of thing. I'm just asking, what about the other people here who deserve some consideration? Like the baby. What about that? What about reality? <laughs> what about the real distinctions between the sexes and the natural family? What about those things? We don't we, we're not allowed to take that into consideration. Even some prominent right wingers were celebrating this because they're afraid to make these sorts of observations. But I think sometimes our natural, wonderful impulse to take the side of the victim can get a little bit perverted. Well, we do this with abortion too. The, the poor woman who doesn't want to raise the baby and then, you think, well, what about the baby? You know, that's another case of what to what, think about the baby. Easy to forget about. We've got to, when we think politically, we've got to think about everybody. You know, right now you can subscribe and start listening to The Morning Wire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. You can also get 25% off a new Daily Wire membership at dailywire.com slash subscribe with code VIP and be automatically entered for a chance to win a trip for two, you and a guest, the Daily Wire Studios to see Candace live. This deal ends today, so act fast. That's dailywire.com/slash subscribe. Get 25% off with code VIP. We'll be right back with a lot more. We've got a whole lot of sexual confusion in our society. We've got chest feeding. We've got babies drinking human milk. And we have on the economic front a major she session. And the only cure for a she session, you know, is a she covery. Just ask Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. It is exactly the example of the kinds of things you need to do to counter the she, sesh, the she session and turn it into a she covery. Fact is, uh, the Conservatives. Don't talk about that in their lengthy platform. You're you're right, Justin. The conservatives, as far as I know, they have never talked about the she-session. And nor have they talked about the she-covery. You got us there. You got us there. <laughs> so I, I thought this was fake when I first saw the clip. I said, no, this must be a, a deep fake or something like that. No, he really said it. And the point he's making is is even more ridiculous than the the phrases that he's using. The point he's making is that the economic recession has disproportionately put women out of work. So the point he's making is that ultimately, we need all the women to be working outside of the home. Obviously, women are going to work in whatever they're doing, but we need the women to be working outside of the home. This is another very radical idea that was once only pushed by the left once it was not pushed by either the left or the right, then it was pushed by the left, and then even the right has adopted it too. You saw President Trump talk about this. He said, women's unemployment is at an all-time low. And I thought, is that, is that a good thing? Is that necessarily a good thing? Is that something we have to celebrate? We insist that all women go out and work for the widget factory or something like that? What if a woman wants to stay home? What if a woman wants to raise her family, keep a house, and watch the kids? Is that, that's bad because then, because that would be the she session because then the women's unemployment rate would be high. I mean, they're not actually unemployed. They're doing the most important work on earth around which all the other work revolves, but that is not uh, understood or recognized or valued in our modern liberal society. Liberal, not just on the left, but on the right as well. Why can't women do that? You know, there was a a famous debate between the American feminist Betty Friedan and the French feminist Simone de Beauvoir. And Betty Friedan said something, and I think a lot of people would agree with. She said, you know, if women want to go work, that's fine. And if women want to stay home with the kids, that's fine too. And Simone de Beauvoir said, no, 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 no. You cannot give women a choice. Because if you give women a choice to stay home and raise the kids, they'll take it. And we can't have women taking that choice because that is not conducive to liberation. So you've got to force women to go to work. And then you get into this strange sort of economy now where uh, men pay other women to raise their children so that their wives can go work for another man and get a paycheck so that you can pay the babysitter to wife. It, does, it gets a little bit strange sometimes because women are not really given the choice. They're given sort of the illusion of that choice. But all of the political forces, all of the cultural forces are telling women, don't. St- if you stay home, you're a loser. If you stay home, you're wasting your life and your education, and all, all the, that great critical race theory that you learned in school and all those crazy gender theories. That's, that's an illusion. That's an illusion of choice. Pretty strange, pretty strange stuff. Kind of, it's like we're, it's like we're misunderstood. It's like our best impulses are leading us to <laughs> misunderstand certain things. Chest feeding, human milk, she session and she recovery. This is not a serious civilization. This is not a serious chivalization, chivalization. It's a chivalization, if you ask me. And China knows that. So China is already threatening the United States. China is doing this directly in response to what happened in Afghanistan. Chinese state media tweets that, quote, from what happened in Afghanistan, those in Taiwan should perceive that once a war breaks out in the Straits, the island's defense will collapse in hours and the US military won't come to help. As a result, Taiwan will quickly surrender. Ouch. I mean, in, in part, I'm sure the Chinese state media are pushing this out there right now, not just to send a message to Taiwan, but also to troll the United States. And so that people like me will repeat it on air. But it worked because they're making a point because the, the argument that they're making here is probably true. Do you really think that the American people want to go to war for Taiwan? I don't. I don't think so. And it's not just the fault of the selfish, naive, ignorant American people. It's the fault of the ruling class. What's the argument for going to war in Taiwan? The argument is that it's a way to contain China. Sure, Taiwan's an an independent country, and yeah, we have a good relationship with Taiwan, and yeah, it's the right thing to do. But the national interest, strategic reason to go to war for Taiwan is to contain China, which is now our chief rival on the global stage. What was the argument for staying in Afghanistan? I do think there was one argument. I'm not saying I agree with this argument, but it was the only one that it was even plausible. The argument for staying in Afghanistan was that it gives the United States a base from which to check the ambitions of China, from which to check the ambitions of Russia, and from which to kill terrorists. Now, again, I'm not sure that this was sustainable. Very often you'll hear people talk about how there haven't been combat deaths in many, many months in Afghanistan we could have just held it with 2,500 troops forever. I'm not convinced that that's true. The only reason we were able to maintain that peace, I think, with so few troops is that the Taliban knew that we were leaving. I think if we reverse that withdrawal, probably there would be another uptick in violence. Probably you'd have to send more soldiers over there as is happening right now. So again, I'm not sure it's a strong tactical argument, but I get the strategy. Yeah, we need to do that to contain these other world powers. Okay. But that's not the argument that the ruling class made. The the argument that the ruling class made was first, that we need to go get Osama bin Laden, which I guess eventually we did, even though it took 10 years and we actually did it in Pakistan. But that was the most plausible argument. They first, then they they said, we need to spread freedom everywhere on earth. And if if any government is not a Madisonian democracy anywhere in the entire world, then it poses an existential threat to the United States. That was George W. Bush's second inaugural. It was ridiculous. It was insane. So I don't think that persuaded anybody. Then it changed to, we need to nation build in Afghanistan, even though initially we were not going to nation build. That was never going to work. Then it was, we need to send women to college or something. I don't even mean to downplay it. I'm sure it would be nice for the women to be able to go to school, but that we're, gonna, we're going to send Americans to go die overseas. We're going we're gonna to spend two and a half trillion dollars to improve the educational outcomes of women in this one particular country and no, no other countries. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Then it beca- actually became LGBT rights. Do you remember this? They, they raised the pride flag over over the embassy in Kabul. You might love the pride flag. You might love LGBT rights, but does anybody really want to go send thousands of Americans to die overseas and trillions of dollars for the pride flag? The pride, the pride flag last I checked is not yet our national flag. We still have the stars and stripes. Pride flag might be our imperial flag, but it's not our, not our national flag. So what was it? What were we doing? None of those arguments were persuasive. And, and if they try the same arguments in Taiwan, it's just not going to work. A serious civilization would be able to ascertain its interest, defend its own interest, and and be willing to sustain that for some period of time. But I think it comes back to this victim thing because we here, we don't like ourselves very much. We don't like America. People are toppling statues, not just of the bad guys from history, but all the guys from history, of George Washington, of Thomas Jefferson, of of Abraham Lincoln, for goodness sakes. He freed the slaves and they're toppling his statues. We're being taught in our schools. We're teaching our children's in civics classes that America's a rotten, terrible place. And you, if you are an American, and especially if you're a white American, you're a terrible person. So why would anyone want to go project American power overseas? Why would anyone want to even defend America's own interests? We don't like ourselves. Actually, this author I was mentioning earlier, Rene Girard, makes this point. Uh, discussing this victim mechanism, that uh, Jesus addresses the, 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 the preening, sanctimonious people who today say, we are so much more moral than the George Washington, than, than uh, Abraham Lincoln, than the hor- Christopher Columbus, the horrible people in our past. We're so much more moral. We would never have killed the Indians. We would never have enslaved people. We would never have conquered or purchased lands. We would never do that. We're going to build honors to all those conquered peoples. Jesus does this in in the Gospels of Luke and Matthew. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, you hypocrites, who who put honors upon the prophets that your fathers killed. You will kill them too. (laughs) You will do it. You are just as bad as them. (laughs) Woe to you. All these things will pass in this generation. I, I think that what is needed what comes from all of our issues on immigration, on the economy, on on domestic issues, which are obviously very confused, on the way that different groups in America relate to one another, on our imperial presence overseas, is a healthy dose of reality. Just a healthy dose of reality. I don't think we need to say that immigration is important and necessary and we need to open the borders completely, or we need to completely close off immigration forever. It's a terrible thing. What if we recognize that permitting people into this country can be a good thing, but it has to be in balance. What if we recognize that projecting American power overseas is not always wonderful or always terrible, but is sometimes a fine thing to do in measure, in balance, in moderation, which is a virtue. What if we recognize that there are many victims in the world and there are many perpetrators of violence and many victimizers, and we need to, thinking politically, take all of them into account and balance these things out when we're debating what to do in Afghanistan or what to do right here at home. It's hard for us to do that because we're no longer a serious civilization, which is why we now have our teachers, the people who are supposed to be educating our students, crying on video on the internet because their their students might cough on them. If I die, who's going to take care of my children? And if I end up in the hospital, how am I going to pay those bills? And if I give COVID to my students or my own children and they die, how am I gonna live with that? And I want you to ask any teacher how they feel this year. And I'm sure that they will tell you that they have never experienced anxiety like this because it is like we are trying to protect our students from a mass shooting that we know is coming but cannot do anything about. Except we can do something about it. It's just that not everyone agrees that wearing a mask will stop the onslaught of students and staff who are likely to become sick, and that makes me sick. I think this lady is making a pretty good argument for the she session. She's making a pretty good argument against she coverage because this lady should not should not be working in public. This what she is not she is not psychologically fit to do it. If you're crying over the prospect that one of your students might cough on you and might spread the germs that statistically you have virtually virtually no chance of facing serious complications from a minuscule infinitesimally small chance of facing ser- serious complications from, and your students have an even lower chance, you are not fit <laughs> to be, certainly not to be teaching anybody, but probably not fit. To, to, even be in public life. This is, this is a fragile, broken, deluded person. And she says that, first of all, first of all, children die of the flu. Children face serious complications sometimes from the flu. This woman, assuming she's taught in the years before COVID, has gone to school during flu season without a mask, without bottles of Purell everywhere, the unholy water of our new religion, <laughs> our religion of public health, uh, she, she's done that and it's fine. And she hasn't she hasn't been waking up in a cold sweat under the, the horrible thought that she might've given the flu to her student or vice versa. Now, with the coronavirus, which is around us, she, she says she can't, the, the thought that you would go to school without a mask, it's terrible. Because if we just wear a mask, then the virus won't spread. Except we found out the virus spreads even with the mask. The virus spreads even with the vaccine. The virus It's a virus. That's what happens. We had very serious lockdowns in this country. The virus continued to spread. Actually, beyond our country, I I should give this lady a break because she's not even the kookiest on this topic. If you go down under, or if you go to the little island right next to the land down under, if you go to New Zealand, that nation is going into a full countrywide lockdown because of COVID. Because of a surge. Do you know how many people got COVID in this surge? What do you think it was? Do you think it was 100,000 people? 10,000? 1,000? 100? One person. A single case of COVID was confirmed in New Zealand. They're locking down the entire country. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Adern has authorized the nationwide lockdown after a single case of COVID-19 was confirmed in Auckland, telling citizens not only that they had to stop going about their normal business, but they actually had to stop speaking to their neighbors. So a 58-year-old man tested positive for the virus. He didn't die. No reports that he's gotten even particularly sick. But he just tested positive this is now triggering week-long lockdowns in Auckland and Coromandel, coastal town that he had visited. It's triggered a three-day lockdown for the entire nation. This will be a level four lockdown where schools, offices, and businesses are forced to close with the exception of essential services. This is not a serious civilization. You know what I noticed? Of all the horrific videos coming out of Afghanistan... The one thing I noticed is there's not a ton of masking going on. There's masking of the women, I suppose. There's full burqas for the women. But for the men who are taking over the country right now, the men who are trying to escape, they're not concerned really about the mask or social distancing or the rapid spread of COVID or, or anything like that. Because they're focused on important things. They're focused on things that matter. They're focused on things that will shape souls, and state. (laughs) They're focused on adult matters. And we here in our civilization are terrified of the cough and living our lives in fear and crying because students might cough on us and wringing our hands over whether to call it chest feeding, breast feeding, or, or anything else. I'm sure there will be some new politically correct terms soon enough. Be ready to mask up for many more months. This is, I know you thought it was 15 days. and I know you thought maybe we've, we've reached peak craziness, haven't we? We haven't. According to the AP, the Associated Press, quote, if you're flying on a plane or taking a train, be ready to keep wearing that face mask for a few more months. The Transportation Security Administration says it will extend the face mask rule on public transport until January 18th. January, just a few more months. Just a few more months, we promise. (laughs) Just a few more. Huh? How many more months? Just a few more days, just a couple more weeks to slow the spread. Obviously, you can't believe any of this. These people have no credibility, but it doesn't matter because they wield power in whatever capricious, lunatic ways that they want. Speaking of the AP, not just the Associated Press, but the advanced placement course. This is a great leak. Just came out from an AP Government practice exam. This is an exam that high school students take if they're in the really special smart classes, distributed by the College Board. It asks these sorts of questions. These are the questions, this is not just a lesson about your opinion. This is not a lesson about different views of a, of a political matter. This is what you were being taught is the correct answer or the incorrect answer to get a good grade so that you can get into a good college so that you can advance in the society. Here's the question. Based on the infographic, which of the following claims would an opponent of state voter ID laws most likely make? They give four answers. The correct answer is voter ID laws are likely to decrease turnout among African American voters because they are less likely to have government issued IDs. So the question is, what would an opponent of voter ID hypothetically say based on this infographic that we're giving you here? And the answer is that they're racist and that people who are pushing these laws are racist. There's no There's no flip side to that. It's not as though the college board is saying, okay, and now what would the other? No, it's just, here's the thing. Here's the question, voter ID laws. If you want to get the correct answer on this exam, is it racist? Yes, it is racist. Here we go. Thank you. Next question. Based on the infographic, which of the following strategies would a group seeking to increase voter turnout likely pursue? And the correct answer is they would lobby state legislatures to overturn voter ID legislation. This is... This is the way that our students are being educated. And I know that conservatives for at least a decade or two now have thought, no, 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 we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't have students being indoctrinated in the leftist point of view, but we shouldn't have them being indoctrinated in conservative views either. We just need a perfectly neutral point of view. There is no neutral. There is no neutral. There's there's never been neutral in education. There are True things and false things and good things and bad things and right things and wrong things. And Conservatives are either going to develop the cojones, I don't know what the new gender neutral term for that is, to stand by the true and the good and the beautiful and the right and the just, or we're just going to cede all of that moral ground to the left. There is a group in Minnesota of 162 school principals and assistant principals that just issued a public letter for, quote, de-centering whiteness and dismantling practices that reinforce white academic superiority uh, while claiming that their efforts uh, mean that they're uh, they're making a sacrifice for their children. You see, white children, in a way, they're the victims of this because they don't even know how racist and bigoted and terrible they are. And they don't even know the sort of oppression that they're, they're uh, foisting upon the world. So what we need to do is tell them that it's, it's bad to be white and it's bad if they were born white and we've got to de-center whiteness and dismantle whiteness or whatever that means in the classroom. We're focused right now on the religious fanatics of the Taliban and the theocracy that they are instituting in Afghanistan. No doubt they're doing that. These people here, these American leftists, are just as religious as the Taliban. They are just as religious and they are just as dead set as instituting a theocracy in this country, a theocracy that makes lots of kooky claims about the metaphysical, spiritual, moral world, including the idea that you, your body has nothing to do with who you are, and if you're a man who thinks he's a woman, you actually really are a woman, including the idea that race connotes certain spiritual characteristics, and if you're white, spiritually, you are, you are lesser than other people, including the idea that uh, that victimhood carries currency not when the victim is innocent, not when the mob is wrong, but just in all cases at all times, such that you must destroy your very civilization, that it is good and right to do that. That is a pretty crazy theocracy that we're living in, folks. And maybe before we take a look overseas and try to solve everyone else's problems, maybe we ought to figure out how to solve our own problems here. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. Production Manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and Associate Producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate Producer, Justine Turley. Audio Mixer, Mike Coromina. And Hair and Makeup by Nika Geneva. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. The clamoring has begun to accept thousands of Afghan refugees. Meanwhile, our own people, thousands of them, are still trapped in Afghanistan, and the Biden administration is not guaranteeing that all will be rescued. Also, a top vaccine official in Tennessee said that she was mailed a dog muzzle as a threat from anti-vaxxers. Turns out that wasn't exactly true. Also, New Zealand goes into full lockdown over one COVID case, just one. And Australia has now instructed its people that they must not drink outside without a mask, but they can drink with a mask. And finally, Carrie Underwood has sparked controversy by liking one of my tweets. A very important story we'll talk about today and so much more on The Matt Walsh Show.